welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, years ago, I participated in an annual golf fundraiser that involved playing 100 holes of golf in a single day. It's always one of the best days of the year. I did it many years in a row. It was one of the best days of my year. I'd wake up early, be to the course by about 6 And a group of us who were involved in this fundraiser would play from about 6.30 in the morning till about 8 o'clock at night. And the fact that there wasn't just one 18-hole round, or two, or three, but five, plus another 10 holes after that, was gluttonous in the most glorious of ways. Obviously, a typical round of golf is nine holes or 18 holes, not 100 So this day was anything but typical. In order to finish all 100 holes, each person rode solo in their cart versus the typical two people per cart. Because we had to play so fast, there wasn't much pre-shot routine that went into it. You didn't line up the shot. You didn't take really any practice swings. You didn't strategize your shot. What you did was you'd jump out of the cart as it was still moving, and you kind of glanced at the ball, and you swung at it, and you hit it. In addition... Because the pace was so quick, there wasn't much casual conversation with the other players about life or about work. This wasn't a relaxed environment. This was a hurried setting. A normal round of 18 holes might take four and a half hours. We needed to finish 18 in about two hours and then do it four more times. So there just wasn't time for chit-chat. In golf, the person furthest from the hole typically hits first, but not on this day. When you got to your ball, you hit it and then went and hit it again. And if you happen to hit it at the same time somebody else did, well, that's the way things were. To make things interesting, over the last 10 holes, played five eight rounds of 18, then there were 10 holes left. And for those 10 holes, the deal was you could only use four clubs. You could pitch, pick which clubs they were, but you had to use those four clubs and only those four clubs for those entire 10 holes. So people were putting with their woods. They were hitting out of greenside sand traps with seven irons and so on. The day I played the 100-hole golf challenge was unlike any other round of golf I would play in a given year. Why? Because so many of the values and the practices and the principles that governed our play on the 100-hole day were completely different from the values and the practices and the principles that govern how golf is supposed to be played. So it looks like the pandemic is fading, and that is certainly good news for a million reasons. We gathered, as Lorraine said, this last Wednesday. We kicked off the 46-day season of Lent with our Ash Wednesday service. And Lent, for those of you who may not know, is the season of the year when Christians fast and confess their sins and lament and pray and deprive themselves in preparation for the celebration of the resurrection on Easter Sunday. But the last two years, at least it seems to me, have felt like 100 holes of Lent. And the last two years, if you will, have required us to play the Christian life under a set of values and principles and practices that are not aligned with the way the Christian life was intended to be played or experienced. So on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, we started kind of an anti-Lent, Lenten series, or what Cody referred to so wonderfully as a less Lenty Lent. And the next several weeks, we want to move forward out of this pandemic 
and back into the way of Jesus by fasting from the values and the principles and the practices that were necessary during COVID, but that are actually inconsistent and incompatible with the Christian life as it is taught in the Bible. And so today, as I mentioned, I want to talk about fasting from isolation. COVID protocols stressed isolation and social distancing. Kingdom protocols stress engagement in relationship. Kingdom protocols require community, engagement, and relationship. So our scripture reading will help us get into this, if you would stand for it. It comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And as Lorraine mentioned, this reading that I hope many of you will do, they're very short on the daily reading plan, uh, reading through Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. This is a passage from Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. It's on page 1175 if you want to follow along. Apostle Paul is writing and he says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ gave himself, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. I'm going to give you two reasons why the time has come to fast from isolation. And they're both taken right out of this passage. The first is, it's time to fast from isolation because Christianity was, is, and always will be an in-the-flesh communal experience. In verse 1 of our reading, Paul urges us, in light of what God has done for us in Christ, to live a life, and he uses this great word, worthy of him. And it's as clear as day here in this passage and in many other places in the Bible, a life worthy of Jesus is lived out in a social context known as church. A life worthy of Jesus is lived out and walked out and worked out 
in face-to-face relationships with others who love and worship him. And this is church. He continues in verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So put the two together. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love. Humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with others is all about how we relate to others. So right out of the gate, Paul urges us to live a life worthy of Christ by being a different kind of community where humility, gentleness, patience, and love characterize our relational life together as a church. Jay Kim is a pastor down in the Silicon Valley, obviously lots of technology in the Silicon Valley. He wrote a book called Analog Church, where he's comparing sort of an in-person face-to-face experience of church with the digital brand. And he writes this in this book, due in part to the centuries-long rise of individualism in society at large, many Christians today have been taught both implicitly and explicitly, that salvation in Christ is an individual experience. But the Bible, he says, begs to differ. Now, this book came out, believe it or not, on March 31st, 2020, right when the pandemic was building its momentum. Obviously, the plan was, this book was in the works for a long time before The pandemic. The gist of the book is that Christianity is in the flesh communal. Technology is wonderful, technology is helpful, but technology also keeps us from each other. And biblical faith, these are my words, not his, biblical faith is a team sport and it is a contact sport. We work it out and we walk it out with others in the flesh. So it's a we thing more than it's a me thing. It's a walk with God and walk with others thing. As we live out faith in relational spaces, it becomes visible and it becomes tangible to those who are looking for God. So biblical faith is in the flesh communal. It always has been, it always will be. One scholar puts it really simply, the life Worthy of the calling of God is a life in the fellowship of the people of God. We go back a few pages in Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 22. Paul says, And God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way we got to pause there. Head over everything for the church, which is Jesus' body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The church as the body of Christ is Paul's favorite way of depicting what the church is and what the church does and why the church matters. He uses, Paul does, the word body four times In the 16 verses I read a moment ago, the church is the body of Christ in the world, the infleshing of Christ, his hands, his feet, maybe most of all, his presence in the world. 
And Jesus obviously set the example when he came to us and lived among us, what we call the incarnation, the infleshing of God, so he could be with us and so he could be near us. And the incarnation establishes the way we are to live out our faith with and near others, not isolated, not on our own. See, when we reduce Christianity to me and Jesus or to my personal relationship with God or to a private matter between Jesus and me, we are actually twisting the Bible so it fits with our personality or with our preferences or with both. So let's play this little game for a second. Let's call introversion a personality trait given to us by God may be reinforced by the pain we have experienced in life and maybe just maybe further ingrained by the pandemic. See, for some, the pandemic legitimized their preference for staying home and hunkering down and hiding behind a screen and avoiding people. This is the way of the pandemic, but it is not the way of Jesus. And I realize I'm offending some of you, and I'm offending some of you. But I do so as one who himself tends toward introversion. So I'm trying to offend myself as much as I'm trying to offend you. When the pandemic started, I had many Zoom meetings sitting in my backyard with my dog Gus laying comfortably next to me. And I kind of liked it, at least for a while. See, Gus is a lot easier to deal with than most human beings. He comes when I call him. He doesn't say much, and he never complains. But here's the thing. Interacting with people is not nearly as messy or complicated or authentic or real or meaningful when there's a screen between us. Because the screen is both a window through which we see each other and a wall behind which we hide from each other. But Christianity is in the flesh communal. It is with God and it is with others. Always has been, always will be. So isolation, going it alone, just won't cut it. One of my favorite writers and people and pastors is a guy named David Fitch. He wrote a book called Faithful Presence. And in it, he says this. You can follow this on the screen. God's plan is to become present to the world in and through a people and then invite the world to join with him. Certainly, God is present and at work in the whole world. Nonetheless, he becomes uniquely present and visible in and through a people. First among his chosen people, Israel, and then through Christ in the church, his body. Here among a group of people, his subjects, he is present and brings in his kingdom. And then through his people, he reveals his presence elsewhere in the world. He invites the whole world to join him. Now, I want to be uh, as clear as I can about this. This idea of fasting from isolation is not some sort of cheesy way to try to coerce you to come to this weekend gathering. It is not. 
Because this weekend gathering, while a part of our life together and a part of what it means to be the church, it is not the whole of what it means to be the church. Fitch says, the church is the essential relational space for God to work in the way he has chosen to change the world. So here's the thing. The church, especially in the days we are now living, the church needs to happen out there. Meaning, church needs to happen in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workspaces, in our schools. We need to be the church there and demonstrate there what it means to be the people of God. The church is kingdom people then who are gathering together out in the world so the world can see the gospel in action. People who are forming in Christ's likeness, who are living on mission in the world by being the church in the world. This is what we have been talking about around here for quite some time and what Dave Holcomb and Sean Young and the missional learning community is digging at and talking about and praying about every other week. See, this gathering in here is a practice field. Let's call it that. It has its place. It's important. But it's a practice field where we come together and we practice being with God, being attentive to God, and being with each other and being attentive to one another. We practice so we keep learning how to be with God and be with each other out there where the church needs to go. Here's the point. The whole faith project from beginning to end is communal. It is relational. It is with God and it is with others. And it always has been that way and it always will be that way. The second reason to fast from isolation is because each one of us has gifts the rest of the body needs to be healthy. Verse 7 from what I read earlier. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Verse 11. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body, there's that word again, of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What an amazing picture. God has given gifts to each Christ follower to be used to build up the body of Christ, so the body moves toward unity, Paul says, grows in its knowledge of God, and becomes mature. See, for Paul, if I whittle this down to what I think he's saying, for Paul, my spiritual maturity, Mike's spiritual maturity, is connected to the body of the church, and the church's spiritual maturity is connected to me. We are a body, Paul's words, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. And each one of us who claims to follow Jesus is one of the supporting ligaments. 
So my spiritual formation, Mike's spiritual formation, is intimately and inseparably linked to you because if I am growing in Christ's likeness, more of him is being reflected in and through me and you will be affected by that. But if I am, in, am growing in Mike likeness, then less of Jesus is being reflected in and through me. And I assure you, you will definitely be affected by that. And I don't say this because I'm one of the leaders of our body. Don't think that way. I say this because I am one of the supporting ligaments in our body, just like you are. See, if you are in Christ, I can't grow without you and the gifts you offer to me. We can't grow without the gifts we offer to each other. Now, we can find our way into this passage and pound on it hard enough so that the point shatters into a million pieces that we can then more easily digest or probably better yet, discard and not have to pay attention to it. But this is wildly profound stuff. The idea that you have been given gifts by Jesus himself to be used to build the rest of us up so we move toward unity and we move toward maturity. Wildly profound stuff. And I realize how counter-instinctual and against the grain it is for us to imagine that we are actually connected to each other in this way. The reason it hurts so much to see Randy and Helen go back to Minnesota is because we're connected to each other. We are a body, a local body here, and it actually matters, and the pulling away is going to hurt, and we're going to feel it. I know how counterinstinctual this is to think that we're this connected to each other, because again, we've been trained throughout our lives to think individualistically about everything, including about God and about the church. We've been trained to think about me not about we. I also realize what Paul is talking about is much bigger than any given local church like Oak Hills. The big C church is God's people all over the planet right now and down through the centuries. And we today as followers of Christ are brothers and sisters with others who are brothers and sisters across the planet right now and down through the centuries. The big C church. But the big C church takes on new meaning and life when I'm engaged in the life of a little C church. And I would go a step further and say, I don't actually know what the big C church even means apart from engagement in the life of a little C church. Christ himself gave gifts to each person in the body so we can equip one another for works of service so that the body of Christ is built up. It just blows my mind. See, what that means is if you're a follower of Jesus, he has given you gifts so that you can minister to others in the body and equip them for works of service so we are built up and become mature. I keep saying it because I want you to keep hearing it. Each of us has been given a gift, or several. And Jesus decided which ones we got. And our job 
our calling, our responsibility is to honor him with those gifts by using them to build up the body. We move toward maturity as a body when you and I use the gifts God has given us to build one another up. I don't know about you, but I find something incredibly compelling about this. I, if this is landing on you as some sort of guilt trip, then I'm making my 18th mistake of the day. Because I hope this is landing into one of your longings for life with God and others because you matter in this body for many reasons, one of which is because you have been given gifts by Jesus to help build up the rest of us. See, this is a far cry from church as a place I go to get something I want or need. Such a vision of church, if you'll permit me, does not exist in the Bible. I also want to be clear yet again that this is way beyond, this gifting is way beyond, oh, hey, we have a job for you to do to keep the church functioning and to keep Sunday services happening. It's way beyond that. Again, what happens on this campus and in this room is part of what it means to be the church. But increasingly, as you have heard repeatedly in the past several years, we need to keep learning how to live as the church beyond this campus because the church is not an address or a place we go. We're to live as the body of Christ in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our school, and in the other social settings of our everyday lives, linking together with one another in those spaces and being the church in those spaces, bearing witness to the reality of Jesus in those spaces, using our gifts in those spaces so the world hears the gospel by seeing the gospel in and through our life together. So, isolation, doing it on our own, and thinking it doesn't affect us is antithetical to a biblical concept of faith and to the way of Jesus. So practically, what's this look like? I'll tell you, one thing it looks like are these Acts 246 meals we've been talking about in recent weeks. There's a table back there with sign-ups on it. These in-home meals are one way for us to start exercising muscles that have atrophied during COVID, namely being with others at a table in a smaller gathering and recapturing the importance of life together away from this address. There are sign-ups in the back. You might go back there, you look at the sheet, you go, well, where's the dinner being held? It's not listed. Who's hosting it? It's not listed. Neither are listed because neither matter. Because the point is not to go where we want to go and be with who we want to be with and eat the food of the person we want to cook it. The point is to go and engage and trust that God's spirit will be at work somehow. And if it sounds a little bit risky, that's because it is. Faith is risky. Church should be risky. Church needs to be risky because it requires engagement. You have gifts. And the rest of us need to receive the gifts you have so we individually and we communally grow toward maturity. 
So I hope you'll go back there. I hope you'll grab the first clipboard you see, look at the date, go, we can make it that date, put your name down, and don't read the names of the people above you. In fact, put your name down several times. It's a good step. Another example, I meet with someone a couple of times a month from our church. I have for years. He asks me questions about my life and about my soul. I ask him questions about my life and about my soul. And he shares his wisdom with me. His presence in my life for many years has shaped me and formed me toward Jesus. He is very gifted at being with others and helping them with their soul. Now, what if he decided seven, eight years ago, he didn't want to use those gifts because it was inconvenient, because it took too much time, because it was too risky? I'm sure God would provide, but if that he would have decided that, it would have affected me. Because he shaped me toward Jesus. And it would have affected you. Not because I stand up here and talk too long. But because I'm one of the supporting ligaments in our body just like you are. And if I'm not being shaped and formed, then we aren't being shaped and formed. Just like if you aren't being shaped and formed toward Christ, then we aren't being shaped and formed toward Christ. Church is not a building It's not a place. It's not an address. It's not a a once-a-week event on a Sunday morning. Church is a people, a community, a body, to use Paul's word. And in Paul's opinion, every person in the body matters, and every person in the body has gifts the rest of us need. Not isolation, then, but what we might call interdependence. We need each other. We lean on each other. So another practical example in terms of what this looks like comes from one of our leaders here in this body who happens to be in sixth grade. Her name is Evelyn Nelson, and she has emerged as one of our teachers on what it is that this means that we're talking about. So got a little video featuring Evelyn and her idea. Have a look. My name's Evelyn, and I made this Reason Generosity Board to put up in the lobby. So if you need something like your sports equipment or yard tools, you can fill out a form and put it on the cork board. Or if you have something, like I did doll clothes, you can also fill out a form and put it on the cork board. It's for helping and um, getting what you need right through those doors, right to the left. Now, I would discourage you, if you're in need, from grabbing one of those needs cards and writing, I need a 2022 Toyota Tacoma truck. You might want to not start with that. But you get the point. And there's already needs being posted and people who are seeking to meet those needs. It's right out the door and to the left. What is this doing? It's pulling us toward each other. It's giving us a sense that's very hard to come by where we live, that we need each other, that we rely on each other, that we can actually be a body and be engaged with each other in these ways. 